back in to the Future Socks Roundup. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host alongside Elijah Evans. Today we have a special episode because the White Sox are doing some things and stuff. We have to dedicate this show to reaction. The White Sox made three massive trades and within this the organization has taken the steps back to relevancy in my opinion. Elijah I know this is hard but To get good later, you got to give up what's good now. And the White Sox, I think, are doing the right thing. It's a step in the right direction for the White Sox, I think. And you've everybody who listens to this show has heard me saying for weeks that we just need to start selling and reset this timeline because it just isn't working. And as hard as it can be, you know, we in the last three days, the team moved five pitchers that probably aren't in the long-term plans. The only one you can kind of make a different case about is Giolito, I think, because some fans, you know, were hoping he was going to get an extension rather than a trade. But ultimately, these are five pitchers that probably weren't going to be around long term that the White Sox turned into some serious assets for the future. And that's how you have to do it when your team underperforms. And I think, you know, Joe Kelly said it when he was talking to the media after, like, this is the reality of the sport when you don't perform. And it's, it's a hard thing to deal with for many people, but the White Sox aren't very good right now. They haven't been good this entire year and they needed to change something. And they just got some some really exciting young players, in my opinion. Yeah, let's break down some of these trades. There's a couple of things I want to get to before we really do dive in because I'm really excited about the prospects, I'll be honest, because it really does infuse a lot of momentum in certain areas, especially within the starting pitching ranks. But they added four catchers this month, two in the draft and, and two via trade. So we'll we'll talk about that. A couple points of points that I'd like to note here. Procedural events for the White Sox. Brian Ramos was placed on the IL on July or retroactive July 25th. He's had a tough season, to put it mildly. We'll discuss where he ranks in the mid to late season prospect rankings at Future Sox down the line. But something to keep in mind when you're looking at Brian Ramos' season, it's been interrupted quite a bit. Now, Declan Cronin was promoted to Major League Baseball and the Chicago White Sox. Declan Cronin is somebody who is beloved by his peers. And when you listen to those around him speak about their excitement for Declan Cronin, it makes you want to root for him because it's somebody who has a work ethic that's translated. And I'm a fan of that story. So congratulations, Declan Cronin, for his call-up. Elijah, let's get started. Let's start with the first trade. It's Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez in exchange for Edgar Caro, the catcher, and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush. Now, I'm excited about Kai Bush more so than Edgar Caro, mainly because I just am infatuated with starting pitching prospects and wherever you want to start. But this is about right, in my opinion, in terms of the return. I actually kind of disagree. I think I think we got really good value here, and I don't think that White Sox fans and people are quite appreciating what we got here enough. Um, while I understand Giolito's been great this year, I didn't expect – it's interesting you say you're higher on Bush because I am incredibly high on Caro, and a lot of people are I mean, are going are gonna to look at this year's numbers and use that as a point to negate what Caro has done to this point in his career – 
but I, I just don't see it that way. And I think he is just about the highest upside prospect the White Sox could have gotten in any deal for Giolito. Ultimately, Giolito is a he's he's a rental, and so is Lopez. It's not like we even traded a reliever with control to package with Giolito. I mean, this is two true rentals that we were just able to attain a top 100 prospect in baseball and a fun projectable lefty. So, I mean, this is, I, I think we got really good value here. Um, I think this is an overpay by the Angels, and I think it was really a sign of their desperation. And the second that they kind of, you know, decided that they were going to be buyers and hold on to Shohei Otani, they ultimately had to make that decision. Like, we're going to do everything we can and push our chips all in. And I mean, these are two of their top prospects in their entire system. And they're ranked, I mean, they're arguably the top two, uh, if not two of the top three or four in their system. And yes, it's a weak farm system. You can say what you want, but these are two legitimate prospects that we got for two for rentals. I mean, they are, they're rental pitchers and, and Giolito is a great pitcher. I, I will really miss seeing Giolito. Um, but this is, this is really good value in my opinion for the White Sox. That's what I'll say. I think, uh, and I should clarify, I definitely think that Edgar Caro is the, the higher upside player in, in the steal. Of, of course, I'm just excited about watching Kai Bush develop. And especially considering the White Sox timeline, I think it's a wonderful ad as the second piece. But in terms of Carroll, I mean, this is a switch hitting catcher who's got bat first. Elijah, when you look at the strategy here, the White Sox were looking at need and they targeted a team that was willing to give up a top catching prospect along with a starting pitcher and the Angels were the fit. I don't know what other teams were involved, if any. I think the other team that could have matched a similar deal is the Dodgers, just because they have a, they have two elite catching prospects and a few other solid ones as well, and tons of ample arms, which we'll get to the Dodgers deal. We ended up making a deal with the Dodgers anyways for a good quality pitcher, so we'll get to that one later, but... Um, I mean, exactly. You're, you're talking about a system that we've we've talked about many times. You know, the White Sox don't have a catcher that's like, that's our future catcher. We haven't had that for a long time. That's just the reality. I mean, I, I was talking to some people yesterday and I'm like, the last time the White Sox had a catcher where I was like, that's our catcher was probably AJ. Is that I mean, is that fair? I think that's I think that's fair. Um, so, I mean, we, Edgar Caro is just, he's just exciting and he's just so much to, to think about and to dream on. And he's 20 years old. This is not as much as people may have wanted to a degree, like the, the near ready prospects. Caro is not that, but with his ability and some of the skill set that he's shown in his first few, in his first two years, like he's a guy that we can dream on being a true starting catcher every day for us. And, you know, you look at, I, I want to go backtrack to last season. So he, he's 20 years old last season in his ni- age 19 season, you know, he was 19. He came in at last season at 18 at the beginning of the year and mostly 19 throughout the season. His first full professional season, he was just, he was phenomenal. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. He was, he was great. He, he played in single a, he started the season kind of slow, but I want to read to you last year after a okay April and May, this is his OPS over the next three months of the season. In June of last season, 1090. In July of last season, 1076. And in August of last season, 1148. Those are his OPSs from the middle of the season after an okay start. And this is a guy who was dominating in every possible way with his power, with his contact skills, with his approach. You know, he walks a ton. That's something we don't have in the system. Caro is a guy that knows, you know, he's patient. He has a really good approach to play it for, especially for a young guy. And then you bring him up to double A this year, a really aggressive assignment. And I think that's something that I, I was talking about on Twitter. And I want to really reiterate, like the angels push this guy. 
And it is okay to push guys. And that is something I, I don't have a problem with pushing guys, but you have to look at the numbers with a different eye. When you understand that somebody's being pushed to a level, they probably aren't ready for. He should have been in high A. That's the reality. And he still has done fine in double A. And it's not like, like people are like, oh, only three home runs this year. And that's just like doomsday situation in some people's minds. But like 53, 55 walks and 54 strikeouts this season in double A. This guy's 20 years old. He's one of the youngest players in the entire double A, in all of double A. And he's walking more than he's striking out as a catcher that switch hits. I mean, that, that sentence alone is like, I, there's so much to like there. And I don't really care that he's been an average hitter this year in double A because he's 20. He's in double A already. He's got an excellent approach and he's got a lot of things to keep working on. A catcher that left the system, Evan Skaug, uh, is an example of somebody who went through multiple levels. And I'm curious as to why, like, what was the decision behind releasing Evan Skaug, uh, the Chicago White Sox need catching, you know, and Adam Hackenberg is somebody we list on the top 30. He's been promoted to Charlotte. That's exciting. Elijah just mentioned Edgar Caro to double A. And Andrew Murphy is hitting the ball very well in Winston-Salem. You know, the White Sox really needed to bolster their catching ranks. And that's not even mentioning Calvin Harris uh, out of Ole Miss, the, a draft pick from this year. So, you know, when you talk about Caro and the projection there, according to Major League Baseball Pipeline, he's got a strong arm, but game calling and receiving and maybe moving a little bit behind the plate needs improvement. But overall, I mean, yeah, you can dream about this kid being your starting catcher at the big league level. Now, on to Kai Bush. Kai Bush is somebody that I think needs some time still, but because of how clean his delivery is, his mechanics, and the fact that he's got a four-pitch mix, left-handed, 6'6", 240. I'm dreaming a little bit as well on the fact that he could debut next season because, look, I think the reality of the situation, the Chicago White Sox are going to be struggling next year, and I think they're going to take their budget, they're going to sign efficient free agent players who are available, maybe acquire those in the offseason too that fit their payroll. I think the White Sox are just really looking forward to competing again in 25 and taking this blip in the road in stride because it's the best that we've seen the White Sox in their farm system develop their players over the last four years. I think covering this farm system since Mike Shirley had an influence on the draft class, they're bringing in a certain type of work ethic, their type of player, up the middle talent, there's plenty there. They mixed high school arms now with advanced college arms later, you know, in uh, Shirley's tenure related to the draft class. Now you're adding some pitching depth on top of those that they already had. And I'm, I'm thinking that Kai Bush is going to be somebody who the White Sox deem as an aggressive player within their system. To me, Elijah, look, there's still development to be had. You look at the numbers, spent time away this season, I'm hoping that he gets near 200 innings pitched total in his minor league career by the end of this year. I expect you know he'll be participating in Birmingham for a while. But you give him an offseason in this organization, you have another healthy season throughout, let's say, this point next year. I think, why not? I think, why not allow aggressive assignments to take 
their opportunity at the big league level when there's really nothing to play for, hypothetically, if the White Sox are bad. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, it's I, I think I agree with you. I mean, I think there's there's something to be said for just seeing what we have and just letting it go to a degree because I, I don't I don't think this team's competing next year. And I know people wanted, you know, I, I think the team may have phrased more of a retool for next year, but ultimately I think it is, you know, a plan for twenty twenty five. Like a lot of these players that we that the team acquired, you know, are are gonna be up in the big leagues by 25 and, and maybe Kai Bush gets some promotion next year. I know you mentioned this to me before and I, I don't mind the idea of it uh, because, you know, what are you, what are you playing for next year? Realistically, we won't be very good next year. Um, but you know, it's, 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 I think he could be ready, right? I mean, you look at his numbers and I know this year's numbers, right? You, the first glance you take at some, at prospects and people, it, the instinct to think, you know, oh, that player is not that good. He has a five, eight, eight, eight ERA in double A this year. He's pitched six games. He was hurt most of the season earlier in the year. Um, you know, he, it, I'm not worried about six games. Um, what I am liking looking at is last season in 21 games started, you know, a 3-6-7 ERA with 101 strikeouts across 103 innings. That's a well-rounded pitcher. He's got good stuff. He's got a good pitch mix. Um, I mean, he's got a pretty – he's a very deliverable motion and just a, a big dude, obviously, a big lefty. Uh, that's that's something that the White Sox don't have a ton of. I mean, obviously, we have some, but for pretty minimal, you know, big, high – upside type pitchers and I, I don't know if Bush is you know he, he's not generally looked at as a as a front line potential type of guy but I think he could be a really solid mid to back rotation piece for the White Sox and in, in the near future like you said so I mean there's there's a lot to like here and I think you know considering last year was really his first his first full pro season he only he pitched five games in 21 after being drafted in the second round uh, but in his first first pro season last year you know he was good he got burned a little bit by the home run ball he was generally had pretty solid command his strikeouts are consistent you know this year you've seen his command has drifted a little bit so he's he's got 14 walks across his 26 innings pitch in double a this year but that's again it's, it's it's a few games it's coming off an injury i'm really i'm not reading too much into this year's numbers i want to get him into birmingham uh, you know see what he can do really just watch him continue to to start developing with the white Sox, kind of meshing in our system seeing how he does things and then we'll see from there but i i, I like the arm I think it's a good ad, uh, you know, getting getting anything on top of Caro, considering the landscape of the deal, in my opinion, was already kind of a bonus. And Kai Bush isn't just a throw in. He's he's a piece. I mean, he's he's a solid potential piece of the White Sox. So it's a it's a good deal. And like you said, I mean, the the organization, the, the way that prospects are developing in this system with our homegrown talents in the last few years is a lot more exciting than it has been in the past. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, centering 2024 around just seeing what our talents can do and letting them develop at the big league level or with slightly aggressive minor league promotions. And and then just seeing from there and being in a position where, where most of these, if you look at our top prospect list, I mean, the majority of the top 10 prospects in this system are people we would expect to see in 2025 or at least by then. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's, it's coming. I mean, it's coming along. I think this farm system has is, is really improved in the last week and just the last few years in general. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great, 
talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. And we're just reacting to the initial three trades that the Chicago White Sox made. We expect uh, to at least one more, I would say. I would probably guess at least one more move. And the White Sox are, are moving in a direction that we uh, we generally agree with. So, I mean, it's an unfortunate reality. But uh, to wrap up the conversation on this trade, Kai Bush, according to Major League Baseball Pipeline, sitting 91-93, topping out at 97 uh, the fastball is effective thanks to arm side running carry. His best pitch is a plus low 80 slider with depth, and his fading mid 80s changeup is a solid option as well. Uh, and then he's working on a curveball in the 70 mile an hour range uh, that is deemed to be something that he can work on. Um, so exciting stuff. And I agree with you, Elijah. The sentiment is uh, look, this could change too. We, I'm looking forward to the offseason already but it's fun look these last couple of months it'd be fun to see who's who's at the white Sox, right playing at the big league level but at the off when we get to the off season if the white Sox do decide to invest I'm, I'm not holding my breath on this but if they do invest in some free agents then things could change but just based on the trajectory and the decision making in the front office and with mike shirley's draft strategy just seems to me the White Sox are committing to internal options moving forward. Now, speaking of internal options, there are other internal options being added to the organization. Thanks to the Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly deal sent to the Los Angeles Dodgers in exchange for right-handed pitcher Nick Nestrini, right-handed reliever Jordan Leisure, and outfielder Trace Thompson. Now, boy, oh boy, Trace Thompson's back. That's pretty cool. Um, but Nick Mastrini is the prize here. And again, right-handed pitcher with a lot of upside starter projectability, Jordan Leisure, high upside relief arm kind of reminds me of Eric Adler, uh, a guy who's already in the White Sox system who needs a little bit of work to shore up his command. And I mean, that's a big league reliever waiting to emerge. So I'm curious your take, Elijah. What was your reaction when you saw this deal go down? So the interesting thing about this deal for people that were kind of following carefully, we didn't hear the White Sox return for like 20, 30 minutes, which is really rare around the deadline. Usually you immediately hear at least one piece going back or whatever, but we heard, you know, there was reports of Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly going to the Dodgers. And then it took like 30 minutes for the White Sox return in this trade to break, which was interesting because I was like, during that entire time, I'm like going through the Dodgers prospect lists and reading up on more guys that I, I knew a good amount of them. I mean, the Dodgers system is loaded, but I was like, Okay, let's see. Who are we going to get? I mean, I was looking at some of their young, like super ultra young hitters after the Caro deal. I was like, maybe we're going to get one of their their stud 19-year-old hitters that's in, in low A or something like that. And then I also, I figured there'd be a pitcher involved. You know, the Dodgers have this double A rotation that is like all five of their starters in double A are like all projectable high-level prospects, which is crazy. So we did get one of those guys and and that's exciting. Um, Nestrini is, Nestrini's fun. I, he's, he's a fun pitcher. He's, I mean, he was a kind of one of those guys that always had the stuff. Um, you know, he, his command kind of faltered a little bit in college. He fell on draft boards compared to where he was going to go. Still ended up being a fourth round pick to the Dodgers. Um, he's, he's already 23 years old, but he's, he's advanced. His stuff is great. His fastball is excellent. Um, his fastball slider combination is just, is a really good duo. It's, it's become kind of one of the better, more consistent double A duos with those two pitches. 
I posted a video of his of his fastball on Twitter from a strikeout earlier this season, um, and he it's got a lot of ride on it. It's really nice to see, and more guys. I, I love fastballs that move. That's one of my like in terms of watching and following pitchers. That's something that I just personally love to see a guy that has a, a really nice run and carry on a fastball, and also being able to locate it all over the zone. So with Mastrini, it's really going to come down to him continuing to work on his command. But the fastball is great. The slider is excellent. Really sharp breaking slider. Um, he started to develop a changeup more this year. That's gotten really solid this year. Uh, compared to last year, I think his changeup has continued to improve. So he's he's worked in a curveball as well. You know, four pitches, a guy with really nice movement. His velo has ticked up since college. You know, he reaches 98 now with the fastball at times. So this is a guy who I I think could be in the White Sox rotation like next year, really. I mean, like you said, kind of using next year as a year for growth. I think Mastrini is somebody that we could we could see in this rotation pretty soon. And it's not, I don't, I don't think that's an exaggeration and yeah, maybe we're buying into the optimism a little bit, but I think it's still fair to project guys who are going to be 24 years old in 2024 into a big league role when the White Sox are trying to develop their own. And with such a lack of pitching depth already within the system, uh, in terms of ready pitching talent, in the starters ranks, I, I think it's fair to project a lot of these pitchers uh, until the White Sox show us otherwise. And Matt Thompson can be lumped into this mix as well. I think Jonathan Cannon is an aggressive um, pitcher that I think, I, I don't know if he fits yet, but again, we don't know. I think it does come down, Elijah, to what the White Sox want to do in free agency next year. And look, I, I just overall, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Dylan Cease yet. It's important to note uh, what Michael Kopech is doing this year because those are essentially the returning arms for now. Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how the rotation gets wrapped together. But, you know, I think... I think sooner than later, the White Sox are hoping that both Kai Bush and Nick Nostrini will be part of the rotation. And I know that that doesn't solve the issue necessarily of like, what do you go into the offseason planning to get? You know, how many pitchers do you acquire? I think it's tricky when you're working with guys that are, you know, neither of these pitchers have been above AA yet. They, we'd like to see them get some time in AAA before you bring them up. Uh, but I, I think ultimately, you know, they're going to scrap together what they have to scrap together. But the future of the rotation looks a lot better today than it did two days ago. And that's a few days ago. And that's, that's a great thing to see because, you know, we've been talking for a while about how the immediate rotation depth is just not there. And you've added two pitchers this week who are, who have a real chance to be part of the rotation. And that doesn't mean they're going to be amazing. It doesn't mean they'll be great immediately. I mean, everybody, these, I think they're, they'll both take some time to adjust, uh, but I think there it's at least something to hope on and something to look forward to in terms of the rotation. Um, and then I also want to get to Jordan Leisure very briefly, um, like you mentioned, but he's, he's kind of a fun reliever. I, I didn't really know. I knew a lot, a good amount about Nostrini, uh, but I didn't know much about Leisure before the trade happened. And the more I was reading about him, he's, he's got like 14.4 Ks per nine this year um, in double A, which is pretty, pretty solid. I mean, he's a, he's a relief arm that like, yeah, he might need some adjusting, but he's been excellent this year. Um, and he's, you know, an advanced prospect as well. Like I, I think he's a guy that another, I mean, talking about filling out spots, right. I could see him being in our bullpen next year. So, I mean, these are three pitchers that we added that are, that are all going to have a chance to be on the 2024 team at some point. Yeah. Jordan leisure will turn 25 years old in August. I love looking at uh, these sample sizes in 2022 for leisure pitching in advanced day. He had a 20 strikeouts per nine and, uh, 
of 4.8 walks per nine. And that was through nine and a third innings. But this year, yeah, like Elijah said, 14.4 strikeouts per nine versus a 4.1 walks per nine. Pitching in double A this year in 35 innings, gave up 21 hits, 56 strikeouts, 16 walks, six home runs allowed. So that kind of tells you where he's at. I think uh, shoring up the command, but the stuff, I mean, it lives and that's what you're dreaming on. That's what's really exciting. And again, 25 years old, you're getting guys who are close to major league ready on top of the fact that they drafted college, advanced college players, only one high school uh, pick on top of maybe a, so we'll lump in two. Christian Opper is a Juco guy. So we can maybe consider him a prep talent, but Overall, this draft class was heavy college, advanced players, and that's what's making me excited about the timelines of this, we can call it rebuild. It's the second rebuild. The first one failed. That was it. Second one's undergone. I don't know who's going to man the ship for the rest of this rebuild. If there's going to be changes in the front office, that's something we can discuss for another time. But it is Rick Hahn and this front office doing what they're doing now and acquiring some quality depth and quality close to major league talent. And that's what we're celebrating. And, you know, we can continue on here, Elijah with Kendall Graveman going to Houston for catcher Corey Lee and Corey Lee had debuted in the majors already. So you're kind of looking forward to him maybe being your starting catcher next year, along with Sebi Zavala. Yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, you know, Corey Lee's kind of taken a step back this season from what he did last year in AAA. Um, he had an excellent season last year, 25 home runs um, as a catcher in AAA last year with almost a little bit under an 800 OPS, just a just a quality season in, in AAA. And this year he's dealt with some injuries. He's been in and out of the lineup a bit. Um, you know, he's – I think he's he's probably – realistically, he's not a guy you're looking at as like your – your everyday full-time catcher long-term. Um, I think he could be, I think he, I mean, when you look at the status of the White Sox, Grandal is either going to get traded or leave in the off season. So he won't be around next season. Um, and Subby Zavala has, has shown pretty minimal at the plate. So I think Corey Lee right now, at least is, is my favorite catcher to be leading the, the catching platoon per se uh, in, uh, in 2024. So I think he's at least something to, to hope on and to look at and say, you know, let's, let's see what this guy's got, because I think he could, he could be solid. Um, he's, he's hitting all right this year. He's having a solid season. I mean, he's, his power numbers are down a lot this year, but his general contact skills have been pretty consistent throughout the year. He's hitting 283. You know, he's got a 734 OPS. He's, he's having a solid season. I think there's some questions about his defense behind the plate. I'm not sure exactly if he is able to stay at catcher long term, but I think he's at least going to be a solid catcher. So, I mean, it's not a it's not a huge ad, but at the end of the day, you're trading a relief pitcher who is sort of expensive in Kendall Graveman. His peripherals show that he's due for some regression. He's probably not part of the White Sox long-term plans. So you get catching depth the way for an organization that doesn't have catching depth, like we've talked about three times already today. And and it's a solid young catcher with who showed who's shown a lot of good skills at different times throughout his last few years in the minor leagues. You know, he's he's shown pop, he's shown some decent speed, he's shown quality contact skills. So it, it could come together. And I, I'm I'm looking forward to Lee. I know there's some people that are more down on him than I am generally as a return in this deal. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's for a team that hasn't had catching depth, I think he's a solid catcher. If worst case, he's your, you know, your third catcher who's bounces between triple a and, you know, double a or triple a and the majors, whatever it might be. I think that's not a terrible outcome for in exchange just for Kendall Graveman, but I think he has a real chance to be, you know, at the very least a backup catcher for the white Sox and potentially could be our lead catcher next year. Yeah. I think that's well described. And yeah, it's important to note that, you know, 25 years old, look, a one-for-one swap of a reliever that you weren't going to keep 
and the returning player is a catcher that has caught in the bigs already. That's kind of cool. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm excited about that. And look, he doesn't have to be your starting everyday catcher. This is a return that adds depth, like we've been talking about, but also it kind of allows the White Sox to feel better about what's to come in the offseason because maybe they'll need to sign a veteran for a year, but that allows them Carlos Perez, Sebi Zavala, and Corey Lee to not have to take on the bulk of the load. So that's encouraging. I think overall, Elijah, this is exactly what we were hoping for. I know you were you were very excited about the return for Giolito and Raylo. I'm with you. Edgar Caro is one of those prospects that uh, you don't see get moved. Typically, the Angels already do have in Logan O'Hop already up in the big leagues. So, you know, they were able to move on from a younger catcher at a position of depth that they had. Uh, as well as getting two projectable starting pitchers and an electric reliever, plus our good friend Trace Thompson, uh, along with Corey Lee and Edgar Care. I mean, that look, it, three moves, uh, a nice return. It moves the needle for the White Sox in terms of their farm system comparatively around the league to about middle of the pack. And we were talking about bottom 10 farm system for this organization for a long time, for the last four years, really. Now they're starting to creep up. A matter of circumstance, but also look at the way that the White Sox have drafted. I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I, I think I think the team is buying in. I think the organization is buying into their strategy right now with the young talents. And and again, you don't know how guys are going to pan out until they get up. Ultimately, that that's just how it goes. There's players that we're going to be excited about, and we're going to love them in the minor leagues, and they might not make it in the major leagues. And that's just baseball, and it's a hard sport, and it's it's difficult to translate skills from the minor leagues into the highest level of ball in the entire world. Um, so. I mean, that's just, that is how it goes. And it's, you can't guarantee anything when it comes to prospects. So there is, I mean, it's hard to think about it this way and nobody wants to hear this, but like we we've seen what happened with this rebuild in the past. I mean, the White Sox have the best farm system in baseball, arguably, you know, at the beginning of this rebuild. And, and sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does work. And there's players that are going to become, you know, everything we want them to be. I mean, look at Luis Robert this year is doing everything the White Sox fans hoped he would ever do. And he's doing it. And that's not going to work out for other players. But, you know, I think there's only so much you can control in terms of hoping guys pan out. In the moment, you have to look at the trades, look at the value and understand that you're getting good value. And I think all of these deals to the White Sox were good value. And I think it was the right decision for where the organization is at right now. What was your favorite Lucas Giolito moment in a White Sox oh, uniform? <laughs> I, I will never forget that playoff game against Oakland. Um, and that one is, I know that's, I think a lot of people go to the no-hitter, and the no-hitter was phenomenal too. But I, I will never forget looking at him in the playoffs and just being like, this guy is going to, like, he's on his stuff, and he is here to win us a baseball game today. Um, and that's just something I'll remember of Giolito forever. I mean, he's he's a great guy. He gave a lot to Chicago. I think fans are really, of all these trades, I mean, I, I'm really going to miss Giolito, honestly. I think he he really loved this place. I mean, I think even after getting traded and you hear listen to his dad talking and what he said afterwards and everything, you know, like he he loved being here and he loved the fans in Chicago um, as much as some a lot of fans, including myself at times, gave up on him last season when he was in the midst of a really hard year. Uh, I think he he kept fighting. He came back this year, and I'm just I'm just I'm thankful for what he gave to us because as, as much as the team you know hasn't it didn't work out with him, he he really gave his all to this team and organization. Yeah, I'm with you on that evaluation too. I mean that uh, playoff game was so exciting, and, and yeah, to to sit back and watch him dominate and take control of the moment that's something that uh, kind of gives you chills. You know, the, just the significance of the situation and for him to 
you know, stare it right down and dominate. That was awesome. And look, he went through one of the most dramatic transitions that I've seen a pitcher go through. I mean, I like to compare him to Arietta. Arietta is the extreme, uh, kind of similar in the sense that Giolito started a wild card game, gave it his best through seven innings and, you know, what it gave up two hits. I mean, that was, you know, not as, as close to Arietta's 15th start in Pittsburgh going a complete game, but thinking about when Arietta was really bad, going from really bad to historically great. Giolito, worst pitcher in baseball. We see him undergo mechanical tweaks, the stuff ticked up. I, I just tip my cap to Lucas Giolito and what he provided the Chicago White Sox and the fan 100%. base. I, I, do we want to? I think we we should get into what is to come because it's interesting when you, as much as looking back on these trades and it's exciting. But you know, we we've got four, we've got three days left before this deadline, and I think the White Sox are not done at all. What do you think, Elijah? Who's left? So I mean, I think Middleton's next. He's been good for the Sox this year. Um, he was you know a a, a free agent this season that was a minor league deal. So we really is very minimal money attached to him. Um, I think a team that needs to add a, a solid mid relief guy is going to trade for him for probably one young prospect. Nothing crazy there, but I think he's the next out the door. Um, I think Grandal is an interesting case uh, because there's a t- lot of teams that need catching, and as much as as much as he has has, has decreased in his ability behind the plate offensively for a catcher, he's still been better than a lot of catchers this season. So I'm curious to see if we, if the Sox move him for anything, it's tricky with his contract being as high as it is and him also being a rental, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a team take a flyer on Grundahl for, you know, for one small piece here and there. Um, so I, I think Grundahl could be out the door. I definitely think Middleton is gone. And then the next two, I mean, it's just, I, I, it's tricky. The White Sox are apparently not listening for Cease, for bummer and probably minimally look thinking about the TA trade. Um, you know, they, there's been multiple reports on record that say cease is just being completely a no. Uh, I, I don't think it should be that way. The more and more that I think about after these deals and the way that we just talked about, you know, looking at 2025 as kind of the reopening of competing again, I think, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to look at that and say we should keep telling cease given that 2025 is his last year under contract He's going to get a ton of money. He's a Scott Boris client. I, I just, I don't really see a reason not to capitalize on the market right now. If you look at this market right now, I mean, the White Sox got got overpaid for some of these pitchers so far. So if you think about what we're getting, I mean, if we're getting a top 100 prospect in baseball for three months of Lucas Giolito, what are we going to get for two and a half years of Dylan Cease? I mean, that, that's how I have to look at it. And and same thing with, I mean, Aaron Bummer, as much as he's struggled this year, his, his expected stats are, he's probably the most unlucky relief pitcher in the league when you look at the numbers. Um, and he's got, what, I think three more years on his contract of fairly affordable control. So, I mean, it's, I, I'm... I'm moving all five of those guys I just mentioned. If it's me, um, I don't think the White Sox ultimately move Cease or Tim Anderson um, or Bummer. I think they hold on to those three. I think they move Middleton and probably Grandal. Maybe I could see a world where they move TA because he's started to hit better the last few weeks. There's a lot of teams in need of some infield help. I could definitely see a contender trading for him and having him be their second baseman for the rest of the year. Um, I, I could see a world where he becomes a shortstop somewhere down the stretch, but I also could definitely see a world where he, he becomes, you know, a really good team second baseman. So it'll be interesting to follow, but I mean, I, I would like to see most, or if not all of those five guys get moved, but realistically, I think it ends up being two, maybe three. I'm thinking about Dylan Cease and what the White Sox are asking for hypothetically, right? If teams are checking in on Cease, what are they asking for? And I, I maybe maybe they're doing it on purpose because they know 
that like their intent is not to trade cease and that they can still get at least, you know, a half a season out of them next year. But if they're asking for the moon, it's, it's going to be tough to find a trade partner with some contenders and those willing to buy um, overall. But yeah, with bummer, I think it really does come down to the contract situation, but I agree with you. I think relievers are expendable and we'll see with yes, money Grandall. I'd, I'd probably be a little shocked to see Grandall get moved just based on, uh, not to say that it's it's outlandish. I, I think it makes sense uh, for a team to be interested in Grandall. I just I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect on that front. So he, I think he's under contract for eighteen million this year, which means the rest of the season contract would be about seven million. I think if I'm if I'm estimating that correctly. I, if I'm the White Sox, I mean this isn't a very White Sox thing to do, so I, I can't <laughs> I can't say I expect this whatsoever. But I they should be eating some of his contract in exchange for a decent prospect because yeah. if you look at some teams that need a catcher, there's some smaller market type teams that probably wouldn't want him for seven million dollars this season. But if the White Sox eat you know four or five million of that and they send him out for for two with two million dollars attached to his contract still, and they could probably get a, a young maybe potentially promising prospect in exchange for him. So, I mean, I, I'd like to see them make that move. I don't know if it happens, like you said. I think it's definitely Middleton is out. Is already one foot out the door. I think there's been many reports that teams are interested in him. We've been expected. I mean, there's no reason for the White Sox not to trade him, being a free a one-year free agent. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good flip. There's no need. You, you let the bullpen. I mean, the bullpen already is going to be a, a variety of players that many fans have never heard of for the rest of the season, um, which is not a bad thing. And I think I, I saw Gregory Santos close last night, and that was awesome honestly. So I think the, the bullpen, once you move Middleton, you really just let the bullpen kind of, you just see who you've got out there and just develop and see what you can string together the rest of the season. Uh, that's why I would trade Bummer too, frankly. I mean, I yeah. think I think if you, you you take advantage of Bummer, you know, being a lefty, a lot of, there's not a ton of left-handed relievers on the market right now. So if you move a, a quality left-hander with many years of control, who has clearly gotten a little unlucky this year, I, I think you can get a, a return for him. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely think both those bullpen arms should be moved. And then, yeah, the TA issue is just I keep coming back to it in my head because I I think I really – I don't know. Maybe I'm reading the market wrong, but I I believe there's a few teams out there that would take a chance on TA's maybe not quite his value as of you know his peak value from 2021, maybe into 2022. But I think there's a team that would pay a higher price than what we've seen from TA this year. Because we've started to see him turn a corner a little bit since the All-Star break. He has many years. It's not like it's a one-year track record. I mean, TA's been the White Sox's most consistent contact hitter for the last four or five years. So he has a track record of being a really quality, stir-the-pot type of contact quality hitter for the White Sox. And a guy that, you know, as much as he likes playing shortstop, right, he he hasn't been one the best at shortstop. So he gives you flexibility. He's played second in the World Baseball Classic. He did a good job at there. So, I mean, I think think T.A. is a guy that that if you're not going to move Cease and you're hesitant to to move on from him because you want him the next two years, then move T.A. and see what you can, I mean, continue to bolster this farm system. Because I do believe the White Sox could get a better return than TA's performance this year would say they would get just because of his track record, because he started to turn this corner a little bit. And because he's a guy that like, are you telling me, I mean, is any team seriously not wanting TA in that, just the energy of TA for a playoff push? Because we've seen him this year not look quite like himself. And and I think a lot of that has to do with the team. And I think if you put Tim Anderson in, in a playoff run and a team that is like a hundred percent contending, 
he's a guy that would step up. He would continue to get get hot, stay hot, and be he could be a, a really big ad. I, I mean, I could see I could see a world where Tim Anderson goes to a team like you know the Braves, which would be crazy because that team is already insanely good. Um, you know, a team of that caliber where he slots into you know the back half of a lineup on a really good team, and he becomes like an NLCS MVP. I, I mean, can any? I feel like you could. I feel like that's not that crazy of a take. <laughs> that is, uh, boy, the Tim Anderson situation is just so depth laden. There's a lot to it related to you know himself as a as a baseball player now, and where the White Sox are organizationally. They need a shortstop, and I'm with you. I think it would benefit the White Sox to move on from Tim Anderson sooner rather than later. If they tried out Tim Anderson at shortstop next season. Uh, I will be disappointed because I want them to move on from Tim Anderson. Um, so that's just my thoughts there. It could be the offseason too. I think it's not yeah. the worst idea. I mean, I think with, with Tim Anderson and just because the season's been rough for him, I think there's a I think I don't think it's a bad idea necessarily to hold on to him, let him continue to be hot with a lot of with the young players around him and no pressure essentially with the way this team is heading and just, you know, see where see where things are at. I see where his market's at in the offseason, have a little more time to really deliberate over the market and figure out a trade for him. But I agree. I, I don't I love Tim Anderson. I will always, you know, support his career. I think as much as, you know, he's he's had a rough season and there's been a lot of different reasons why uh, people have fallen out of he's fallen out of favor to a degree with some people. Um, I will always support the guy generally in his career. But I do think that 2024, he should not be the starting shortstop of the White Sox, just based on where the team's at. Um, and, you know, like we said, like Jose Rodriguez, Lenin Sosa, before you know it, Colson Montgomery, there, there's kind of a good amount of depth um, in the middle infield for the White Sox right now. So I, I would like to see them move on either at the deadline or if not, then in the offseason. That's Elijah Evans. You can listen to him right here on the Future Sox Roundup every week. We release them on the weekends, and today we are reacting to the Chicago White Sox future. Man, how about it? On Future Sox? Are you kidding me? Elijah, thanks so much for everything that you do. Really good stuff, as always. We're looking forward to next week as well because we'll react to the deadline overall, and then also we have some Jacob Burke footage that we wanted to share with you, courtesy of our guy Jeff Cohen, who took a trip out to Winston-Salem to talk to him. Jacob Burke's a guy that we're keeping an eye on big time this year. Somebody who's had a lot of success throughout the year. It's a breakout season for the young man. It's first year in his professional career, and he's doing everything that the White Sox have expected from him and more. So uh, we'll, we'll get some more insight next week on the podcast. I'm looking forward to evaluating Elijah's predictions because I mean, there's a lot of candidates to be traded still. And the White Sox made, you know, three deals traded five players, all arms. That's the currency of the game these days. And the White Sox have an abundance of it uh, left. So I'm looking forward to next week's episode as well as I hope you are, as you can subscribe, by the way, to the future Sox podcast, just click that button really helps us out. And follow us on Twitter at Future Sox. Elijah's at Elijah EV, the number eight. I'm at Rankin906. For Elijah Evans, my name's Mike Rankin. This is the Future Sox Roundup. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.